I want you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 13. We're going to continue our study in the book of Acts, and we'll begin by reading the text in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. The text is quite lengthy, so I want to encourage you to be patient and attentive as I read it, and then we'll consider its application for our life this morning. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt with mighty power He led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, from the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one. No, But he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited him to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, 
And they stirred up a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity that you give us this morning to study your word, to grow, to mature, to become educated about your ways and your priorities and your fulfilling and fulfillment of your promises in the Old Testament in Christ. God, we're excited to study it. I pray that you would use this time, God, to advance your kingdom. I pray that each person, every man, every woman, every young person, God, would make progress in their walk because of your word this morning. God, your word says that it goes out and doesn't return empty without accomplishing the purpose for which you sent it. And so we claim that promise and thank you in advance for it. And by your spirit, lead and guide and fill this time with your glory and your praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. We talked about um, Acts chapter 13 last week and what a transitional chapter it is for the book of Acts. We move from from the Apostle Peter to the Apostle Paul. We're moving from Jerusalem to Antioch. We're moving from a ministry primarily to the Jews to now primarily to the Gentiles. There are a variety of transitions that take place, not the least of which is that now the Apostle Paul begins to take a leadership role of the disciples in the church in Antioch and now in this first missionary journey that he and Barnabas are on. Now it's interesting, this is the very first message of Paul that we have recorded in Scripture. Now, he's preached many messages, undoubtedly. He's taught many Bible studies. He's led many people to Christ. He's preached the gospel everywhere he went. But this is the first recorded message that we have in Scripture of the Apostle Paul's uh, sermons. And I was thinking about this as I was, uh, as I was preparing the message. And any of you that have ever taught a Bible study, uh, you know that you don't ever want to have your very first Bible study ever recorded uh, because you don't want any evidence of what happened at that meeting. Uh, because when you give your first Bible study or your first sermon, you know you're shaking in your boots. It's a, it's a fearsome thing to, to stand in front of people in the first place, but then to stand in front of people and teach the Word of God uh, is, is a really a, a challenging task, and it's daunting. And I remember the first few times that I taught uh, uh, at uh, Calvary Chapel Honolulu, and Bill Stonebreaker asked me to speak in his absence. And I, you know, I did my best, but the reality is it was, I just, they were bomb sermons. They were just awful. I look back on them, I'd, I'd finish the sermon, and I'd go back, and I'd say, oh, God, I'm not leaving until everyone is gone, you know, from behind the stage, because you just feel so inadequate. But here, the Apostle Paul, we have his sermon. Now, remember, we're 25 years into the church era after the day of Pentecost. Paul has been saved. He spent 14 years in Arabia studying, and he's been on the road with Barnabas in Antioch and now on this mission venture for a number of years. So he's kind of tuned up. And this, this message is not only an expression of, of Paul's advancement in sharing the gospel, but it's the, it's the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit when a man stands up, and especially a man like Paul, who on the spot, without any preparation, is asked to deliver a word of encouragement uh, without any advance notice. And so that's what we find happening in this text. And uh, it's, it's quite a fascinating sermon. But as I said, it's a little daunting to, to teach. And it's even more daunting to try to give a sermon on a sermon by the great Apostle Paul. But here we go anyway. Um, we find in verse 13 that, that the disciples were on this journey. Uh, they left Antioch on this first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas were on. And they went from Paphos onto Pisidian Antioch, which is in uh, Turkey. It's not the Antioch of Syria, but of Turkey. And it's about a 350-mile journey. So they had quite a ways to go to get there. And it says something very, uh, almost in passing in verse 13, that says, this is where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, I want to point this out just for a moment, because last night the Lord kind of opened my eyes to some, some other truth from this passage that I wasn't even prepared to teach. But as I was teaching last night, the Lord, the Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, this is the context in which Paul had to give this spontaneous message. Because John Mark left. Now, we don't, it doesn't say much about that situation here in the text, but in, in Acts 15, we're going to study the fallout from this departure of John Mark. It, it almost split at that time and later did the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. They had a falling out over this event of John Mark leaving. We don't know exactly why John Mark left. One thing that we know is that there was a transition in leadership. Paul now became the leader of this missionary venture, whereas 
Barnabas was an, a, a, a relative of John Mark. And so John, uh, Barnabas took a secondary role to Paul suddenly, and John Mark might have had a problem with that. Or it might have been that, boy, this is just way too deep for me. I mean, I, I, I thought we were going to go out and be applauded by people when we came to town, and people would love us and be excited about the gospel. But man, we're getting chased out of town. We're getting stoned. We're getting attacked. We're, we're being verbally abused. I'm just, that, I'm finished. That may have been why he left. We don't know why he left. But I want to just mention that this little phrase that John left them to go back to Jerusalem is the context in which Paul now has to deliver a message of God. And I thought about this and I thought, any of you that have ever taught or any of you that have ever been parents or had any leadership role, do you know what it's like? You know what the feeling is when suddenly the bottom of your life kind of falls out and there's some crisis and you still have to produce. You still have to deliver. You still have to parent. You still have to be a husband. You still have to be a wife. You still have to be a good employee. You, you still have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and I thought about this because just a very, an application right out of the gate in this message is that the Apostle Paul had to deliver a message right after he had a crisis within the ministry. That's the way ministry is. So many times, a person in ministry or in life, we have, to, we have to deliver. God says, keep walking with me. Keep serving me. Keep advancing the gospel. Don't quit. Don't roll over. Paul could have said, when the, when the synagogue rulers came to him and said, hey, do you have an encouraging word? He could have said, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I mean, just, you know, I, another day maybe. He could have said, Barnabas, this is your problem. This was your relative. You go teach. But he didn't do that. He responded. And I want to tell you, this is just the way life is. This is just life. In the course of life, we have to serve the Lord. In the course of life, of the ups and downs, in the good times and bad, like the song that we just sang at the end. In the good times and bad, we keep worshiping, we keep serving, we keep stepping up. And that's what we find the Apostle Paul doing. So they go into the synagogue, and, and uh, kind of the, the natural course of, of, uh, of a synagogue service was that they would have opening prayer, they would have a reading from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and then they would have a reading from the prophets. And after that, the, the chief priest or one of the teachers there would teach and or they would invite a guest speaker who might be in town to do commentary on the verses that had been read. And they saw the Apostle Paul, now many years had passed, but they knew him to be uh, a previous member of the Sanhedrin. And so they say, what, we've got the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Would you men like to speak and share a word of encouragement? And so these guys were invited to speak, and so Paul stood up, and he preached a message of encouragement. I remember a, a number of years ago, my wife and I, we were out at the Waimea, um, the, the Waimea Fair out there, and there was a rodeo. And, uh, I, you know, we just loved watching the rodeo. My son at that time uh, just loved horses and loved, the, you know, the whole cowboy thing. And so we're out there watching this rodeo, and uh, the barrel racing and, you know, the various ropings and all that they, did, that they had. So we're watching this event and suddenly, um, I can't even remember right now what, the, what, what occurred. I think it was an injury or something. And they basically called the rodeo off for 20 minutes. And they said, everybody just stay where you are. We'll be right back, but we've got to take care of a few things. And so right then, it was just like as soon as it happened, the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, get up and preach the gospel. And you know, the, the, we got their stands of people. They're all, they got all these risers up and everybody's there and you know, they're all got their cowboy stuff on, you know, and, 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 and God says, get up and the Holy Spirit really just, get up and preach. And I'm like, here? They're having a rodeo. These guys don't want to hear the gospel. And the Holy Spirit said, get up and preach anyway. So I leaned over to my wife and I said, Becky, pray for me. And she says, why? Because I'm going to get up and preach. And she says, what? And then I... And then I told my boys, I said, boys, I leaned over to the other side and I said, you guys pray for me because daddy's going to get up and preach the gospel. And they, their eyes got really big and said, you are, you know? So, so I, I, you know, mustered my courage and I got my, I had my little New Testament with me that I carry around and I got down off the risers and I stepped down and I looked up at everybody and I said, I know this might seem a little strange, but God's told me to preach the gospel to you. And so I proceeded to preach the gospel. And, uh, you know, when I think about Paul standing up and preaching, that's what I immediately came to my mind. It also reminds me of these guys from U-Turn because in uh, this last week they were down in Kapaa. Maybe some of you saw them. 
but they were street preaching down there right in the middle of Kapaa by ABC store and they were letting people know about Jesus Christ and two people came to Christ which is a total joy and um, but but there's there's something significant and I don't want to gloss over it is that Paul stood up he had every reason not to stand up but he was compelled to stand up he had the same reasons that we have that we don't want to stand up is there anybody here that's been a Christian any length of time that God hasn't said say something speak up share communicate the truth and I'm with you and we said uh, no not today Maybe on another day when I'm feeling more prepared. <laughs> Emotionally, physically, and spiritually. You know, we go through all these little things. So we've all done that. But I don't want to gloss over this. Paul stood up. And I want to tell you is that God is calling us as a church and as individuals to be people that step up because I guarantee you God sooner or later, if you've given your life to him, is going to give you an opportunity and he's going to say, stand up, speak up, show up. And that's what Paul heard. He heard the invitation of God through these leaders in the church. And without hesitation, he stood up. And I'm reminded also of, uh, of Romans 1.16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. That's what's at stake. Paul says in Corinthians that he's compelled by the love of Christ. He couldn't do anything else but speak. It's not that he didn't have fears. I bet you almost every time that Paul got up and spoke, he had fears. There's nobody that goes out and preaches the gospel in, in any kind of environment, much less a hostile environment, that doesn't have that fear and that doesn't have that, that feeling of like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know? That's how I felt at Waimea Rodeo. And I, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor. But, you know, it's a fearsome thing when suddenly, without warning, God tells you to do something. And I haven't always obeyed, but I have had times where I have obeyed. And I'm telling you, it brings a tremendous amount of joy. So I want to encourage you, that little phrase that Paul stood up is enormous because if he hadn't done it, we wouldn't have the rest of the message or the fruit of that message. Well, Paul begins to, to preach and he reviews Jewish history. And in a single sentence, he highlights nine acts of God that revealed the love of God, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and the plan of salvation of God through Jesus Christ. And so he tells us first in verse 17 that God chose the Jews. Now we're told that in, in Deuteronomy 7, 6 that God chose these people. He, he, out of all the nations on the earth, and he tells them don't get a big head about this because I chose you because you were the least and the least likely to succeed. He says, you are the smallest and the most pitiful nation on the planet. That's why I'm choosing you because in that choice, my glory can be most greatly magnified. And the Bible also says to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you also are a chosen people. And sorry to say, I know this may hurt some of your feelings, but he chose you for the very same reason that he chose the people of Israel. Because in you, with your faults and your failings and your, your past, and the dilemmas that you find yourself in in life, many of your own doing and my own doing, he is most purely and magnificently able to bring attention and glory to his name because the message is simply this. If God can work in our lives, then whose life can't he work in? He can do it with anyone. And so God chose the Jews. He also prospered them in Egypt, it means to elevate or exalt or to lift up. And that's exactly what God did. He multiplied the people of Israel so greatly that they became a national threat to Egypt. And as a result, God led them out with his mighty power. And it says that he endured their conduct for 40 years. This is a word you might wanna, you might wanna write down, tropo foreo, tropo foreo. And the reason I, I mention it is that because you know how some of you... Uh, kind of caught on to some of my sermons and, and abused my sermons, by the way, and I know who, you know who you are, and you called your spouse a little dictator or a, like my wife, I'm sorry, Becky didn't say that to me. She, did, she went beyond that. She called me, what did you call me? Um, it, was, it, was, I, it was shocking, all I can tell you. Um, but we were playing with each other with that phrase. But tropophoreo means someone that, uh, that has to put up with someone's bad habits. And, and some of us have to do that too. It's this ability to not stand up under pressure of, 
of conflict, uh, but to stand up under the pressure of someone's bad habits. And that's what God is saying he had to do with the people of Israel uh, for 40 years, and he endured their conduct. Despite that, he overthrew seven nations in Canaan. The Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, all of these ites, there's seven of them, and God overthrew every single one of them and gave his people, the Jews, the promised land. Now, he also says in verse 20 that he gave them judges, and the last of those judges happened to be Samuel. During Samuel's reign, we know from the Old Testament that the people of Israel weren't satisfied with these judges that God had given. And they said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations around us. We want someone that we can vote for, someone that we can uh, see dressed in, in royal, royal robes, somebody that we can be proud of. We want a poster of our king, and we want to be able to plaster it around. We want to hang it on our mantle. We want a physical body of a leader. And so Samuel was upset by that. And this is what we're told in 1 Samuel 8, that it displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said, hey, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. So in other words, God's saying, Samuel, don't take it personally. It's not your judging that's at fault here. The people have been rebellious ever since I've known them. That's what God says. He says, they just, I have to put up with them and put up with them and put up with them. But he says, go ahead and give them what they want. But warn them when you do give them their king, the first was Saul, the second David, the troubles and the heartache that they will face as a result of having a king. So verse 23 tells us that the culmination of all these things, and the reason Paul is bringing up this history, he covers over a thousand years of Jewish history in, in one sentence, and he covers all that for the very specific purpose of, of laying a foundation from which he now will identify Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of every plan, every purpose that God had in all these previous events. It was all forcefully, aggressively, passionately driving toward the message of salvation by faith in Jesus, the Messiah. And so he gave them, Jesus, a promised deliverer. And he sent John in verse 24 and 26 to preach repentance and baptism, which was uh, prophesied in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and then followed up in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, with the fulfillment of John the Baptist's ministry, a man calling in the desert, preparing the way for the Lord, uh, a message of the kingdom of God. So Paul reviewed the Jewish history, and now he's going to review in verse 27 through 31 the history of Jesus. And he said that the first thing he says is the Jews didn't recognize him when he came. Well, that's what John 1 says. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Now, Paul wasn't saying they're idiots. He's just saying they didn't recognize him. They didn't acknowledge him. Jesus came in such a different way, in a different form than most Jews were expecting that they, they just, their mind couldn't wrap around it. And Paul was empathetic because he himself was guilty of the same sin. And he tells us so in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And is, can't we all say the same thing? Before we came to Christ, didn't we act in ignorance and unbelief? We knew. We had heard. But we were ignorant. Our eyes weren't fully open. And so Paul says to the Jews that were even there is the history of the, of the Jewish nation is that they were ignorant. They didn't have their eyes opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it goes on to say that they condemned him and asked Pilate to have Jesus executed. And then it says two of my favorite words, I think, in the whole Bible, but God. But God. It's a conjunction. It, but it's a, it's a conjunction that oftentimes presents a con contrast. And oftentimes it changes sentences completely. You know, you can start out with things like in the Bible, we've never seen God, but God. And this is John 1.18. We weren't wise or influential or noble, but God, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We were blind and deaf and ignorant, but God. We were restless and harassed and full of fear, but God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Our sin left us powerless, but God. We were sold into slavery, but God. These are all taken right out of the text of the Bible, and there are dozens more. And, and here's the thing I want to I share with you, is that right here this morning, we have quite a few people here, and... Each one of your lives represents the beginning of the sentence, 
You know, I've got this problem and that problem, and I would say to you, but God. I've got financial problems. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I don't even know how I'm gonna pay my bills, but God. I have problems in my marriage. I'm not sure I can hang on any longer. I don't know if I can stay in this marriage, but God. My kids are driving me insane. I don't, even, I don't even love these kids anymore. The truth is, is that I hate them because of what they've done to me and my family. But God, I don't think I have anything to offer the kingdom. I have failed so miserably. I am such a wretch. I have such a horrible past. But God, those are the two most beautiful words, I think, in the scriptures. I mean, we can put the Savior and Yeshua and all these other names in there, of course. But, but in terms of this contrast, I don't think there are words that are more beautiful, to my ears at least, than but God. And I want to encourage you this morning. I don't care what's happening in your life. Well, I got to rephrase that. That sounds bad. I said that to somebody else this morning, and now I just said it twice. And I had to back up and say, no, I didn't mean that. I do care about what's happening. But what I mean is that it doesn't matter how severe the problem is you're facing. God is bigger. God's more powerful. God knows and he cares about your situation. And I want you to grab a hold. If you don't grab a hold of anything else, grab a hold of but God. Because he's coming for you. He will sustain you. He is your savior. He is your creator. He is your father. He is your friend. He has deposited his Holy Spirit's presence into your life. And he will see you through. The work that he started in you, he is going to complete. It doesn't matter what, how the sentence started in your life. But God changes the rest of, the, of your life. So it's a conjunction in a sentence, but it's also a transformed life. It represents what God does in a man or woman who allows him to take authority and to rule and to guide their life. I love that concept, and it's one that I believe that we should live by. So Paul began to review the gospel. He goes to the Old Testament prophecies, and he mentions a number of prophecies about King David. And I, I don't have time to talk about them in detail except to say that ultimately the, the objective of these prophecies was to point that David was not the one that would finally sit on the throne, but it would be Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus Christ was the ultimate fulfillment because he said David died. This prophecy talks about one that would never see decay. That wasn't David. David's in the grave. David got buried, and he's still there to this day. Jesus Christ is the ultimate fulfillment. And so he begins to review this uh, through the gospel. And then in verse 38, he said, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. The pardon. You know, this is one of the greatest stumbling blocks, I think, for most people when it comes to the gospel is recognizing it's completely a gift. It's very, very hard for us to receive gift of salvation because of our pride. Our pride says, I don't really want the gift. I wanna, I wanna do something to be a part of it. I want to have some sense of ownership that I have pulled myself out of this mess that I've made in my life. But God says, you can't. It's impossible. It's not based on works, lest any man should boast. Can't be done, can't be achieved, can't be experienced by our own effort. It has to be the work of God. But there's so many people that want to earn salvation the old-fashioned way. They want to earn it. They want to accomplish it and achieve it. But Paul is saying that forgiveness of sins is proclaimed through Christ. And through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified, verse 39. You know, I think a lot of people, myself included when I was a younger Christian, I didn't really know the difference between forgiveness and justification. I kind of thought it was just kind of fancy words to kind of say the same thing. But they actually mean something completely different. Forgiveness uh, really talks about taking care of sin's debt. And justification takes care of sin's stain. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. The average uh, American uh, has about $8,000 of credit card debt. Now, I know some of you are thinking, whew, I'm not so bad then, you know? And some of you are thinking, wow, I, got, I can rack it up some more. I am hit the average. Uh, but it's about $8,000. And one thing I want to really encourage you with is that uh, I don't believe it's God's will for Christians to be in debt. And I want to really call you and encourage you and exhort you to get out of debt. I just, uh, all that money that you're spending on, on, um, on interest uh, could be going to more productive things. And most of the time when we get ourselves in credit card debt, it's because we've gone past what God has provided and said, it's not enough. I want more than what you're able to give me. 
And so it's, uh, it's one of those things where we're kind of calling out our own king and we're saying, hey, you know, uh, we, we have a different master. And I didn't mean to talk about that, but it just, I'm going to just mention it just for a minute here. But this whole thing of credit card debt is, is a huge problem for people. Now, let's say someone came up to you and said, you know what, I've heard that you've got credit card debt and I've heard that you, you worry about it. And, and, I, and I've heard that you want to get out from under it. And I heard that you feel burdened by it. And I've heard that you and your spouse fight over it. And so I've come to come and just take care of it. How much is it? And you say, it's, it's about 10 grand. It's a lot of money. And I just write, write out a check for you and here, I want you free. Now that's forgiveness. The debt is paid for. But you still have terrible credit. Your credit rating is in the toilet because you have had so many times where you've defaulted and not paid on time and you're stretched out, you know, paying one guy to pay the other and you know how we do. We juggle all the money, you know, to try to keep our life together. So forgiveness would be to pay the debt off, but the stain of that debt is not yet removed. Justification is if the person not only takes care of the debt, but then goes on to talk with all your credit card companies and somehow, miraculously, gives you back perfect A-plus credit. That's justification. Forgiveness is having the, the debt removed. Justification is having the stain removed. And, and I just want to say again, I'm going to take a moment here and say, this is the message of the gospel. Not just that you've been forgiven of your sins, because Satan will come and say, yeah, you've been forgiven, but boy, you are tattered and worn and stained and you are unacceptable because you're going to have to dig out of this hole. Oh yeah, he took care of the sins, but you are filthy in, in, his, in his presence. And what justification says that was accomplished on the cross, that was accomplished when you received the message of life, is that that stain is now removed. Not just the debt, but the stain. That is the message of life. That is the message of encouragement that Paul is preaching. What did they ask him to do? Do you have a word of encouragement, they said. And so he comes out with, with, you know, it's like with both guns blazing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he lays it out and he says, not only can you be forgiven of the debt, but the stain can be washed away as well. That is good news. And that's what Paul presents to this uh, congregation. And through Jesus, everyone who believes is justified. And through the prophetic warning, he tells them that basically those that hear the message have one of two options and it was true for them and it's true for us. You can either believe in the promised Messiah and have your sins forgiven and the stain removed or you can reject Jesus' gift of salvation and suffer the penalty of God's eternal wrath that is upon those who still have their sin and want to pay it off themselves. I like what C.S. Lewis has said. He said, in the end, there will only be two types of people there will be those who say to the Lord, thy will be done, and those to whom the Lord says, thy will be done. Those are the only two choices that we have. Well, it's interesting because in verse 42, we find that the church just responds. Well, it wasn't the church, it was in the synagogue. He's, he's evangelizing, he's witnessing. And it says that the masses of the people, in verse 42, invited him back again, and many of the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles followed him. Now, you know, I want to clarify that this word in the Greek doesn't mean that they just kind of hung around to see what happens next. You know, it's like, this guy is interesting. I just, this is going to be fireworks. Let's see what happens. You know, kind of like a, an accident on the, on the highway. It wasn't that way. This word means that they converted to Christ. This word means that they became followers of Jesus Christ. That's what Luke 9.23 says. That if Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the clarion call of the gospel, is a following of Jesus Christ. Not just praying the right prayer, not just showing up on Sunday, but a lifestyle of absolute surrender and obedience and joy, joyful service to God. And that's what he's talking about when it says in this text that many Jews... And God-fearing Gentiles followed Paul and Barnabas. And that's clarified in the, in the end of that verse because he, he says, he goes on to say, continue on in the grace of God. Continue on in receiving simply the good work of Jesus Christ by faith alone. Well, the whole city gathered the next week to hear the word of the Lord. And as I thought about that, I thought, wow, you know, I pray for this island and I pray for my friends and neighbors and I want people to come to Christ, and I know you do too, and I want to encourage you because so many of you are witnessing. So many of you are stepping up and being bold. So many of you are passing out tracts and, and praying for your friends, and you're serving people in the community uh, with the objective of just being a blessing, but also with the knowledge that it may open a door for sharing 
this wonderful message of encouragement and exhortation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so many of you are doing that, but I was praying about this and I thought, Bob, when was the last time you really prayed for the island to simply do what this church did or this group of people is to hear the word of the Lord? And I thought, you know, I haven't prayed that lately. And I started praying that this week and I said, Lord, let this island have a hunger for the word of God. Let this island just suddenly be famished and provoked to, to a tremendous thirst for the truth of the word of God. And of course, it has to start with us. If we don't have that hunger or that thirst, then probably others won't see it, as, see it in us and, and they won't be provoked to, to that kind of hunger or thirst either. So maybe we need to pray for ourselves, you know, that we'd have that kind of a passion for the word of God and then be willing to share it with other people. I like what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 32. I run in the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Isn't that wonderful? Not, you're not kicked along in the path of God's commands, not whipped into the, into the commands of God, not prodded, not pushed, not rewarded or, or punished, but I run in them. Why? Because God has set our heart free. What's the message of freedom? Your debt's been removed and the stain has been washed away. Isn't that enough? That's the message. And so I'm praying this week and I encourage you to pray. Let's pray for ourselves in this island that there'll be a, 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 just this hunger, this desire, this thirst for the word of God because it's through the word that people come into a, a knowledge of Christ. So that was the response of the masses, but we find a very different response in verse 45 from the Jewish leaders. It says that they were filled with jealousy. This was prophesied actually in Deuteronomy 32.1. Jesus, or God said, I will make them envious by a people that are not my people, by a nation that doesn't know. And it was the Gentile nations. And sure enough, God was right. It came to pass. The question is, why were they jealous? Well, I, I think they were jealous because they saw their crowds leaving. They saw their spiritual dominance diminishing. They saw their power slipping away their plan disintegrating, their racial segregation unraveling, and their lifestyle evaporating. They were seeing everything that they had built for themselves going south, and they were jealous. And I thought to myself, what a, what a completely different response John the Baptist had, the, the, the gentleman that's mentioned in this text. What a completely different response because his disciples came to him as well and said, John, don't you realize that people are going over to Jesus? We're gonna lose everything, our, our power, our dominance, our, our influence, our position, our future. It's just evaporating right in front of you, John. Don't you get it? Can't you see it, John? And John just calmly says, don't you get it? Don't you understand? He must increase and I must decrease. You know, those are the words of... Some of the most powerful words I think that John ever spoke. He must increase, I must decrease. You know that one of the marks of a, of a truly authentic, Christ-following, God-loving Christian is that their life decreases and the power and ministry of God increases. Their, their focus on everything about just maintaining a life begins to decrease and their passion for the things of eternal kingdom of God increase. Their attraction to the things of the world decreases and their attraction to the things of the kingdom and to the word and to fellowship and to ministry increases. That's, the, that's just as simple as it gets. That's probably one of the most beautiful markers, I think, of genuine Christian advancement and maturity is that we think of ourselves less and we think of God more. We think of ourselves less and we think of others more. We think of ourselves less and we lift up our spouse and our kids and people in our presence. And our objective is not to, to take care of us and then if we've got anything left, benefit others. But John's heart, in contrast to these ungodly and yet so-called spiritual leaders, was John said, that's the program. That's the plan. Why are you surprised by this? He must increase. And for that to happen, I must decrease. And so these Jewish leaders were expressing this jealousy and they talked abusively against the gospel and Paul. They rejected the word. They considered themselves unworthy of eternal life. These were the people that God chose, but this was their response. Now the Gentiles in verse 47 and 48 had a very different response. It says in the text that they accepted the word of God. 
And I wanna take a moment and just say thank you to you. Because I've been around. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, an important person by any imagination or stretch, but I've been to different churches. I've seen different things. I've been in different uh, ministries. I've, I've talked to a lot of people over time. And not every congregation can stand up to the teaching of the Bible. They just won't stand for it. It's like that's just way too much. There are churches that uh, if, if they were to teach right out of the text like this and teach like I'm teaching, people would walk out. they just literally get up and leave. And there are definitely a lot of churches that if they went to a message that was 45 or 50 minutes, they'd say, that's the last time we're ever going to that church. Church is supposed to be 60 minutes at the most, and I'm watching the clock, and this guy just can't stop talking. Are you following me? And I know maybe some of you are thinking, God, he's reading my mind, you know. Um, <laughs> but I want to thank you because really you are a people that that has accustomed yourselves to hearing the word of God and you've received the word of God and you're applying the word of God and it's having an effect in your life and you're affecting this island and I'm, I'm hearing it more and more and more. The things that God is doing through you is just amazing and it's inspiring to me. It makes me want to stand up. It makes me want to show up as I watch how God is using you. And I'm encouraged by that, but it's because you have a heart to receive it. Just like these Gentiles, they honored God and they honored the word. And it says, they who were appointed to eternal life believe. Now, this is very interesting. I want to take just a minute on this because there are two views in, in theology, which is just the study of God. It's just a fancy word for the study of God. One view says that it's all God and it has to do with election. It's the sovereignty of God and that, that it's, you know, it's just God's work. Salvation beginning to end is all God. And then you've got another group of people on another extreme that says it's man's choice. God has done the work, but we have to do the choosing. And if we don't choose and if we don't want it, we're not going to get there. And so you've got these two diametrically opposed, at least appearingly, uh, apparently diametrically opposed positions. But the interesting thing is the Bible teaches both. And I, I want to just share with you that this is what the Bible teaches. And I have references for this, but I, I will refrain uh, because I think it will bog us down here. But if you're interested, I'd be happy to show them to you afterwards. The first thing that the Bible teaches is that God knows in advance who will be saved. That's clearly spoken to us in Scripture. I'll give you a few verses. Romans 8, 29. 1 Peter 1, 2. The second thing that the Bible teaches is that God chooses who will be saved. That's clearly taught in Scripture. We can't get around it. We don't need to get around it. There's no reason to get around it. We just need to accept what the, what the Bible teaches. It says this repeatedly over and over and over. God chooses. God elects. God foreordains. And all this happened before the creation of the world. And yet, I'd be remiss if I didn't cover the third point, that we must choose Christ in order to be saved. John 3.16, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and the list goes on and on and on to all who would receive, to all who would believe, anyone, everyone. God chooses, God ordains, God elects, but we must choose God. We must respond to the message. And so we have this wonderful phrase about those who were appointed to eternal life believed. This combination of the work of God, the sovereignty of God, and the free will of man remain intact even in this verse here, and they remain intact in the Bible. Well, verse 49 tells us the impact of all these things, a summary, that the word spread through the whole region. All over the world, the Bible says in Colossians 1, this gospel is being preached and is bearing fruit wherever it's being preached. And it's bearing fruit on this island, and God is using you. And, and I, I trust and believe that this week, the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and he's going to say, say something. He's going to say, communicate, love, pray for, encourage become friends with, invite someone over. He's going to speak to you. And when that moment comes, I encourage you to step up because that's how the word of God spreads. Who among us didn't have someone in our life step up and were the result, were the fruit of that stepping up, that courage in their life? Someone, somewhere, someplace stood up for us and stood up for us and took the risk to communicate the gospel. And that's how the gospel spreads. Well, the Jews rejected this message, verse 50. They incited the people against the gospel. They stirred up a persecution and uh, they expelled the disciples from their region. They threw them out. Well, the disciples, verse 51, did the biblical thing and they shook the dust off their feet. <laughs> I'm not recommending this, by the way. Like if you go to somebody's house and you share the gospel, you get your shoes and dust your clothes off and, you know, that's it, dusting you out of my life. 
But it was something that Jesus actually taught the disciples in Matthew 10. He said, when you go to these cities, when you're appointed to go out and preach the gospel, he says, if they receive you, praise the Lord. If they don't, then shake the dust off your clothes and off your shoes in protest of this city. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means and it communicates that I refuse to even be tainted by the dust of this place. And maybe more specifically is I'm free from the guilt of this city's sin because I have spoken the word here and it's been rejected. Not that we, we wash our hands off and say we don't care about you, but I'm no longer responsible because I have spoken. You know, the Bible actually tells us that if God speaks to us and we fail to do it, he will hold us responsible for other people for that message that we didn't preach. That's, the Bible actually teaches that, that we have an obligation, that we can't be servants of God, have him tell us what to do, we refuse to do it and not be held responsible for it. So what shaking the shoes, the dust off means is that I have fulfilled my responsibility. I'm no longer guilty for this city's rebellion against God. And secondly, I am turning this place over or this person over or the city over to the judgment of God, not for his wrath to be poured out, but for his discipline that they might come to Christ. And so the disciples shook the dust off their feet. Like I said, please don't go to your neighbor's house and evangelize this week and, and start dusting your clothes off in protest if they don't immediately receive the Lord. But there's a principle there. They went on to Iconium, which is exactly what Jesus also did, so, so said in, uh, in Matthew 10, is that if they chase you out of a place and persecute you, just move on. And here's a little tip for evangelism. And I didn't get this at first because when I latched onto somebody, they were going to get saved come hell or high water. You know, it was just like, I don't care what I have to do. You are going to get saved, you know. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that wasn't very biblical because the Bible says if somebody doesn't respond, move on. That's what Jesus taught. And so I want to encourage you, some of you with your family or your, especially your kids, it's just like you're driving them absolutely crazy, insane. And they just, every time they see you or hear, see your number on the, on caller ID, they don't even pick up because they know you're just going to harangue on them. And what I want to tell you is that the Bible says you have permission to simply move on. It doesn't mean that you forget about them or that you stop praying, but you just got to stop shaking that same tree or you're going to spoil all the potential fruit on that tree. Shake it a little bit. If the fruit doesn't drop off, then move on and come back to it later. But do it in love. Do it with the clarity of the word of God and do it with much prayer. And so they moved on and it says that the end result of all these things that they were filled with joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the marks of a truly authentic, God-loving, God-serving Christian. Joy it's very different than happiness. It's not based on circumstances or conditions in your life. It, it, it's, it's far higher than that. It has to do with the knowledge of who we are in Christ. It has to do with who God is. That's what gives us joy. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which brings us full circle because that's what Paul needed at that moment of preaching. When he stood up, he needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the Holy Spirit filled him at that moment. And now we find even at the end, as, as an affirmation to the work of God in these men, they're filled again. And I want to tell you, there's nothing like being filled with the Holy Spirit, not just the first time when you come to Christ, but I'm talking about the time that you pray and you finally surrender your life and say, God, I want everything and I want all that you have for me. And I'm surrendering my life and I'm making it available to you for your service. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then that daily filling the Bible teaches on in, in Ephesians, that we are to be filled on an ongoing daily basis. We're to be led by the Spirit. We're to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. When that life is yours, there is no other life. You'll never want anything else. But do you realize the context of how this happens? They step up. They're ministering. They're serving. I have to tell you, I don't know any Christians who are filled with joy and the fruit of the Spirit and are filled in, an, in a way that's evidenced in their life with the Holy Spirit who aren't involved in sharing the gospel, who aren't involved in leading people to Christ, who aren't involved in the Great Commission. I see a lot of Christians who are bumping along in life. But the context here tells us that in the midst of their ministry, in the midst of even suffering for Christ, their joy was full. The Bible tells us Jesus said, rejoice when you're persecuted because this is exactly what they did to the prophets. He, he goes on to say in 1 Peter that when you suffer in this manner, you are showing yourselves to be my disciples. You are showing yourselves to be sons and daughters of God. So persecution is actually a privilege for the church. And these guys were filled with joy. And the bonus was is that they were once again filled again 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a great message. Not my message, Paul's message. But it's a phenomenal message to these people. And many responded. And I want to give you a chance this morning. There may be some this morning before we take communion that you've never received Christ. And you're at this crossroads. You're at a fork in the road where you can receive Christ and have the debt paid for by Christ. That's what he did on the cross. That's why he was there. That's why he hung. That's why he suffered. That's why he died. And you can have the stain also removed. Or you can reject this free gift and you can try to earn salvation, which the Bible already declares can never be earned. You cannot even wipe out one of your own sins. You can have a a kajillion good works, but it will never remove the one or the two or the thousands that you've committed over lifetime. Only Jesus can do that. And I want to encourage you that if, if you've never done that, I encourage you to see myself or one of the leaders of the church today and say, I want that. For the rest of us, I want us, to, I want us to be a people who are prepared to share the gospel. We've got tracks in the back. We've got resources. Grab some of those things. Get rid, Empty our track rack. I don't even know where it is. It's around here somewhere, but I don't even want to see any tracks in that thing. You know, I don't want you to feel compelled. You know, don't like grab them all and say, Pastor Bob doesn't want to see any tracks in the rack. I just want you to take resources and go out and use them. I want to encourage you to step up. That moment will come, maybe even this week. And then to share just simply what you know about the gospel. And then you have to expect that there's going to be mixed results. The Bible tells us, Paul says in Corinthians, that we are an aroma of life to those that receive the message and we are an aroma of death to those that reject it. God didn't say you're going to be friends with everybody. In fact, he said the contrary. If you're friends with everybody, something's wrong. If everyone loves you, something's wrong. If you're really living for Christ. I want to encourage you. I want, I want our fellowship. I want to live a passionate life. I want to live on the edge. I want to be willing to step up. I want our church. You guys are doing it already. Let's continue to do it. And let's cry out to God this week that God might win some for his name and that he might use us and that he'll, as a result, fill us with joy and fill us again with the power of his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for this time this morning and thank you for this, uh, this tremendous sermon by Paul and the things that we've learned from it. And God, we commit it to you and say thank you for what you've done. Let it go out. Let it accomplish the purpose for which you're sending it. And Father, I pray as we simply allow you to be not just a, a conjunction of a phrase in our life, but that you would allow us to allow you, God, to transform our life with that great phrase, but God, but God, but God. You change everything. And so Lord, this morning we We yield ourselves to that. We bring all the problems that we have, all the challenges, and we say, but God, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for removing the debt. Thank you for washing away the stain. And thank you for the calling that you have in our life. We respond and we say, Lord, send us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.